This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for September 30th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show, Buell continues his holy mission to save StarCraft in another seven-game semifinal. And we're getting ready for the biggest month in League of Legends as Worlds kicks off this week and doesn't stop until the World Championship. But first, we should explain a bit about why we're a little late and running a little short this week. Yeah, we originally planned to take a week off due to uh, a lot of travel that Rob and I were doing uh, and conflicting availability. Uh, But it, it seems silly to skip a week on the eve of uh, three major events. Uh, So first, we have the League of Legends World Championship uh, beginning on October 1st. Then we have the StarCraft II GSL Finals between Innovation and Buell uh, on October 4th. And then we also have the ESL 1 New York Dota 2 tournament from October 3rd to the 4th. It also turns out to be incredibly difficult to stop us from doing a show when StarCraft continues to toss up as many memorable series as it did this week. <laughs> uh, Andrew, we've been talking a lot about Buell uh, lately, but I have to admit I'm stunned we're talking about him again this week. <laughs> uh, when you heard he was playing Deer in the GSL semifinal, did you think he had a prayer? Yeah, I, I actually kind of did... Um... You know, the reason why I thought he did, though, is because I assumed Deer would win. And I've been watching StarCraft long enough to know that what you assume, you should probably flip that around and expect the exact opposite to happen. And so we kind of did. We had the exact opposite happen where I kind of thought Deer might stomp all over Buell uh, because Buell was kind of emotionally raw after that rough uh, Star Star League finals uh, against uh, Hero. so I kind of thought Deer would do really, really well, and instead we got a great series uh, where Buell also won. Yeah, you know, I think going into it, I was a little concerned because we'd just seen Buell go down so horribly in uh, the Star League finals, and this is something we've we've come back to again and again with this with this player is that uh, he gets tilted. He he's a little maybe me- his mental game is a little fragile uh, compared to other players. And maybe we overstate that. Maybe we don't. Yeah. But I think for anyone, it's difficult to sort of get humiliated uh, in public <laughs> uh, one week and bounce back and compete against another really strong player uh, the very next week. And okay, so Buell didn't get humiliated at at the Star League final, but I definitely think like that was a rough final for him. He didn't he he dropped a lot of games where he just he didn't look good. So I kind of wondered what we were going to see out of him. And you know, I got to be honest, it was it was really impressive. Like Buell came Buell came out strong and not to maybe over overanalyze the guy or put the guy on the psychologist couch whatever. Uh, but it was really interesting that the, the very first game in the seven game series, uh he starts out right out of the gate with a seven pool. Um <laughs> <laughs> just wasting absolutely no time. And I you know, I kind of wonder if um you know, may, like if part of that was okay, you know, Deer wants to play uh macro games, he wants to play standard games. Uh this isn't like an SOS type player you're playing. Uh this is this is someone who wants to play serious StarCraft. Right. Uh and maybe throwing him off that way with a with a very fast uh you know, basically the the classic zergling rush. Uh, maybe that's a way to do that. But I also kind of wonder if 
you know, looking at it from Buell's perspective, right? Like, if you lose your first game playing standard and you just get outplayed, that can bruise your confidence in a different way than losing your first game when you know you kind of cheesed right. uh, at the start. And I, I kind of wonder if he was sort of buying himself maybe just a little mental cushion uh, to start out and, and see whether or not he could sort of steal a game that yeah, way. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because that's actually exactly what I was thinking just then is, you know, maybe he comes right out of the gate and he says, you know, we're going to play this first game on my terms. There, so if you if you zergling rush as a zerg player, you are demanding that the uh, that the Protoss player play this game on your terms. And even if you lose that match, it's usually because the Protoss player uh, scouted it out really early and figured out it was coming. And even so, even if you lose, it's not like a devastating loss. You didn't make a big mistake that kind of rattles you for the the rest of the series. And so I. Th- think it's like you exactly like you said where if you go to the late game against deer deer is going to horribly punish you for any single mistake you make and then that single mistake can kind of rattle around in your brain for the rest of the series so i actually think you're exactly right about that yeah and you know it's it's great because deer didn't fold up when 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 he saw the zergling show up that game actually went surprisingly long uh the attack didn't fail uh so you know it wasn't one of those cases where it blows up so disastrously in the Zerg player's face that like it's pretty much a a GG at that point. Uh, but it was one of those rare cases where the Protoss player didn't see it coming, survived it, uh, and then it went into a slightly more standard game. Except that Deer was sort of on the back foot because he'd been, all the all of this defensive play had been forced out of him, and uh, so Buell ended up just playing a very a very tight game from there and, and closing it out. But you know, it, it was it was a back and forth series, and there was a point where Deer was was really you know rallying and and mounting a comeback, and you know you're starting to expect uh, Buell to uh, Buell to maybe fold up. Uh, but you know, I, I feel like I can't remember if it was the the fourth game on Expedition Lost or whether it was the very last game. I want to say it was an Expedition Lost, uh, where this is where I started to feel Buell really was going to win. Because basically he had a a pretty massive uh like Protoss stalker immortal army uh coming down on him. And Buell was in the midst of his transition to Broodlords and Vipers. But they weren't out yet. Like they were they were they were in the pipeline, but he's got these stalkers and immortals like hitting him right now. And he knew it was coming. And it the the great thing is it was a bit reminiscent of what we saw from uh, Mana. I, I want to say sure. uh, yeah. the the other week where it was just one of those great holds where the where the player defending doesn't panic and you know keeps keeps it together and basically has the right units show up down to the millisecond and that's kind <laughs> of what ended up happening with Buell where and, and this is this is something I, I sometimes wonder about in in StarCraft. I feel like the truly great players decide how they want to lose if if that makes sense like buell was going to go out on broodlord's viper one way or another the one thing he wasn't going to do was let the sudden arrival of those stalkers sentries and immortals force out roaches and, and hydralisks right right like he absolutely and and nobody's going to fault you for making that play because hey those units are in your face right now so you might as well just get the the infantry out there basically the infantry equivalent uh to, to get out there and, and see what you can do buell didn't do that and so you know if, if those if those broodlords had popped 
just a few seconds later, if those if those vipers hadn't had enough energy for blinding cloud, he would have looked like a jackass. <laughs> it would have looked it would have looked like classic, you know, a day late dollar short. The broodlords pop, the stalkers shoot him down. That's game. But instead, they they come in at just the right second as the main Zerg defensers are starting to crumble, and they start popping uh, the the. Um, the uh, broodlings, uh, you know, at at the at the at the Protoss army, and that was uh, and and that's where the, where the game turned around. Now there were some harrowing moments b- between that and and the end of the game. Buell nearly threw away his uh, broodlords <laughs> uh, because he decided to have them solo harassing uh, in a corner of the map against stalkers, uh, which is just one of those really just hanging out hanging it out over the edge, uh, but. You know, it, but watching Buell like just you know cold as ice, uh, yeah. handle that push, wait for the right units, uh, you know, and have the courage of his convictions to be like, this is the composition I want, right? And I think it's going to be there at the right time, and that's I I feel like that's where he won, uh, that's that's where I knew he had the sort of the toughness uh, to sure. win, but and then Deer came back and won two more, so you know who maybe I'm maybe I'm talking out of my hat here. <laughs> But it was definitely one of those great moments where it's like, oh man, like the 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 mental mistakes you worry about from Buell, mm-hmm. he wasn't making them that night. Yeah, and and you know, as a, as sort of a broader note, I think about StarCraft in general. Uh, you know, these players like Deer are a little bit less common right now. These because Deer, I think, got really well known uh, about a year ago because he had perfected these these these. Protoss timing attacks that, like you had said before, kind of go down to the millisecond. You win because you attack at the correct millisecond. They're incredibly mathematical, strategic builds. And I feel like one of the reasons why we don't have a Protoss in in the grand finals of the GSL right now is because players are kind of, they've gotten a little bit wise to it. They, They figured out that I don't have to fight on the Protoss army's terms. We can kind of fall back. I can sacrifice that base, let the Protoss blow up my third blade, my third base, um, and say, I'll get you next time. I'll get you in about you know a minute and a half when I have the, the actual army that I really want here. And, and I feel like that is kind of critically wounded the Protoss race in general, and it's why we have a Terran versus Zerg finals. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's definitely a component of that and and i also think maybe players are getting better at sniffing out uh protoss cheese in some ways like i i feel like um i i feel like the the players like sos for instance are are just getting parried a little more effectively and so i feel like maybe protoss are losing the psychological edge sure they, they tend to enjoy just because of how volatile that that race can be uh, so yeah, I definitely feel like there's there's a shift underway, uh, just in time for Legacy of the Void, of course, to to come in and then flip over everything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So it was it was a great series between Buell and uh, Buell and Deer, and really just showcased why Buell is just absolutely one of the uh, best Zerg players in, in the world right now. But it was it was a great series and right. just another one of those series where uh, you know Buell kind of ends up restoring your faith in uh, in Starcraft. <laughs> All right, so so now 
there, we also had a second semifinal this week, um, Maru versus Innovation, and, and I was traveling during this one, so I didn't actually get a chance to watch it yet, uh, but I was pretty, I've seen the score, uh, and I was pretty sure about this one before it actually happened, uh, because Maru didn't really seem like he belonged in the round of four or the semifinals, uh, and, and plus beyond that, he was in a Terran versus Terran match against the single best Terran versus Terran player in the world, uh, which is Innovation, and I felt like Innovation was clearly the better player coming into this semifinal. Uh, but since you actually saw the games, you know, did you, did you see any spark uh, from Maru? You know how it can be really satisfying to watch a good StarCraft series that doesn't surprise you in the slightest? <laughs> uh, like, you know the players, you know their strengths and weaknesses, you pretty much know exactly how it will go. You could almost guess the box score, uh, but you certainly know what the games will look like. But it's still fun to watch. That was Maru versus Innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, it, it, it's sort of there is a great satisfaction to that because StarCraft is an incredibly mathematical game, but it never seems to play out like that, even though you really want it to. Uh, and so when it finally does, that's really great. And you know, it's especially you talked about strengths and weaknesses that are really obvious. It's especially true for these two players, Maru and Innovation, uh, because you can always be sure that Innovation is going to show up with a rock solid understanding of the late game, uh, and that he's going to play some beautifully tactical games of mech, mech style Terran. Uh, and you know, Maru is always going to be like interesting. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a dynamic player. He plays very fast and he's always trying to take his opponents off guard. Exactly. And, and Maru continues to be that really aggressive uh, bio and micromanagement focused player, but innovation just plays this really seamless, tight uh, mech game. Uh, innovation is that guy, if it was like a chess tournament, uh, just huh. like does this like positional play, right? Where it's, it's like this, this positional Rubik's cube that if you're playing against him, you've got to figure out how you're going to unlock it. But he's so good at sealing every possible angle of attack that it just becomes infuriating. This is why innovation, by the way, is a player that like I respect. I don't think I will ever love that guy. <laughs> and I, I feel like I'm not alone uh, on this. Like he's, he's clearly a brilliant player, but there is something about his style of play that is difficult to love if only because it is so precise and pragmatic. It, right. Very much up your alley. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I think that you, you nailed it when you called it a Rubik's Cube. Like, if you're watching someone try to solve a Rubik's Cube, you're not rooting for the Rubik's Cube. You're rooting for the person to, like, to beautifully, like, show you all of a sudden, oh, I solved it, uh, and I destroyed this Rubik's Cube. Yeah, and then so after the semifinal, which, which, which wasn't bad, uh, it, was, it was, again, like one of the semifinals, the score was 4-1, it was closer than it looked, but I'm left wondering whether or not Maru has, if not peaked, if, if we've sort of seen his entire bag of tricks, and I, I feel like I got in trouble ages ago on the show for talking about how I always thought Maru was a little limited in his style, and some people called me on that as an unfair generalization, that he does have really good mech play when he wants to bring it out. Uh, but then I see a series like this one, and I think, <laughs> do I know my boy, or do I know my boy? Uh, you know, Maru made a name for himself as yet another freakishly talented tactician from the Prime team. Uh, sort of like a Marine King, but far, far better. And now, I don't know if he's slower or the game has changed, but he's lost a step. And against Innovation, it felt like he had no choice but to keep playing into Innovation's hands, 
with these really grueling bio pushes. There was this there was this great moment. Uh, I, I, I again I can't remember the map. I want to say it was uh, on like Vani Research Station, where uh, he's had innovation bottled up in the north half of this map uh, for ages. And it just seems like he's winning because he's just maneuvering around innovations bases and knocking out uh, refineries and killing sea shanks right and left. And it's all felt like Maru's the guy making things happen. It's all going his way. And around the same time, I was realizing at that point, like, Tasteless and Artosis, the two casters for the game, look around. They're like, wait, how many minerals does Maru have left? <laughs> and they look around the map and... The answer is he has none, oh. basically. Like, he has mined out four patches, uh, and and the the rest is not going to be easy for him to hold. And innovation, because he's he's been trading really efficiently, uh, hasn't actually consumed all the resources he has at his disposal. And so he's got this really strong mech army that Maru's just been, yeah, he's been getting, you know, like, nice-looking exchanges, but he has not been efficient. And it was it, it, it was kind of the, that entire series that 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 game encapsulated the entire series because I feel like it's it's re- it's really dangerous when this happens because it always seemed like Maru was just victory was just within Maru's grasp like he if if a few things had gone differently if a few things had been done a little bit better he absolutely would have won these games so he didn't deviate from his style but. The truth is that innovation was basically like, you know, doing the math in his head, I guess, or whatever. And it was never going to work in Mars' favor. It just looked like it was close. But innovation had these games on lockdown. Uh, so it was it was really good. It was really, you know, top-notch StarCraft. It was great to see these two styles clash. Uh, but at the same time, it did feel like, you know, Maru was this wave uh, that just kept, like, breaking on the rocks. And, uh, you know, the, the rocks always win. Uh but on the other hand, you know, maybe Maru just had bigger fish to fry uh, because his Gen Air StarCraft team just pulled off a pretty big upset by surviving the Pro League season playoffs to go play SK Telecom in the final. Uh, he won a tying match in their series against CJ Entis, and, you know, maybe that was the more important thing for Maru right now. Anyway, um, that's all the news for today, so let's take a look at esports tomorrow. We've still got just a little bit more StarCraft coming up this coming week. Uh, As we mentioned, Buell will take on Innovation in the Code S uh, finals. Uh, But League of Legends is sort of just getting started with its own mega tournament, uh, the League of Legends World Championship. Uh, We've got just the group stages of Worlds happening this week. That's important to remember. If you hear that Worlds is starting this week, it doesn't mean the grand finals are coming up. It's going to be a little while before that. Uh, The World Championship itself will take place over the entire coming month with the finals uh, on October 31st. Uh, and, And I really love the beginning of these massive tournaments. That's like what I love about esports, like having the uh, the March Madness bracket in front of you. And there's just a million different alternate realities that this could take. And I'm, I'm never so much as interested in the grand finals, the ending of these tournaments where all of the possibilities have been exhausted. I love being at the beginning and having a million possibilities. There are so many ways it can go. Um, but to kind of start off with, uh, Rob, w- what do you think is the predicted storyline people are expecting to see from League of Legends Worlds 2015. You know, is the smart money betting that we'll see more domination from Korea this year? 
the short answer is is yes and no, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, because when it comes to storylines, uh, something illuminating happened in this last week. Um, you know, we both hate esports drama, but there was an interesting tempest in a teapot teapot last week as Riot were publishing their top twenty player series on lollysports.com. And uh, you know it's it's what you expect, right? It's a, it's a it's a it's a series. It's it's a long list of players who are maybe not necessarily the best, but they've got interesting stories. They're interesting to write about. Sure, right. Uh, but a lot of the fan community hated that series, and they thought the rankings were complete uh, BS and biased towards Western players. And the you know that kind of stuff happens with any kind of list like that. Uh, I have contributed to like the PC gamer top 100, uh, you know, article, uh, you know, a few times. And even so when the list gets published, I'm always pissed off uh, because I'm like, <laughs> you know, cause, cause it's like, no, like you're, you're saying these are the top 100 that that list shouldn't just flatter people, people's taste right now. It, it should sort of be broadening a little more of a, of a survey. And, and so I totally understand why people get angry at articles like that. I also, having been on the other side of it, totally understand why you want these articles to be a little controversial, why you do want them to be maybe, maybe a little more relatable and, and a little more like stuff that people know about and are, are able to discuss. Uh, and full disclosure, I've done work with Lolly Sports and, and I have a high regard for the people over there. Uh, but the reason I bring this up is that, you know, the official editorial outlet for Riot and the League of Legends competitive scene has an obligation to play up all the regions. And for their English language audience on an English language website, you're naturally going to focus on the Western LCS teams. But I think what rubs fans the wrong way about this is that everyone knows that that's probably not true. Like, the League of Legends world has been waiting for a heavyweight fight between China and Korea since last year. Uh, the Chinese teams have improved some of their infrastructure, though if you go back and listen to our interview with uh, the scores, Kelsey Moser, they've still got a little ways to go in terms of that like professionalism and, and infrastructure building. Uh, but more importantly, like a lot of Chinese teams have signed a lot of great players. So on the one hand, I, I think this, this might be the most unpredictable Worlds has ever been uh, since Season 2 in 2012 when Taipei Assassins upset everyone to win the title. China and Korea both have teams that you could credibly argue are the best in the world. So this is not a foregone conclusion uh, like it was the last couple of years, where it was there were there were, there were certain Korean teams that were just clearly uh, head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, one year it was SK Telecom, uh, the next it was Samsung. But one thing I think will be the same is the saga of the Western LCS teams receiving their comeuppance. Uh, and I think that's one reason there was all that frustration with the top 20 players article, because we know, we know that in two <laughs> weeks time, a lot of those LCS teams and the supposed top 20 players uh, will have been cold. They will have been shown up and it will be the, you know, the, the players from other regions that remain unfairly anonymous to a lot of casual fans. Um, will be the ones who are there contending for a title at the end, uh, with the possible exception of Fnatic. You know, that's that's like the one thing that makes esports easier to follow for new for newcomers. You know, it's, it's a very very difficult subject to follow if you're not already in the scene. But there's one thing that makes it really really simple. There's always one storyline in every esport except for Counter Strike, which is 
Can the Westerners do anything this year? Uh, and, and it gives you this really easy storyline to follow. And as you definitely pointed out, the answer is almost always no, you know, <laughs> with the exception of evil geniuses uh, this year in Dota. Uh, and I think that a lot of people are hoping that we're, that Fnatic is going to mirror that, the, the evil geniuses' success this year was sort of the great Western success kind of thing. Uh, so, that, But, you know, to kind of... Zoom in on on that's kind of the the macro scale look at, at this year uh, in League of Legends and at Worlds. But kind of kind of you know, bring it down to a micro scale. Are for the, just this week? Are there a couple of matches in particular coming up in the group stages uh, that you think people really should make sure to watch? Uh. So having said all that, let me give you my uh, Western ethnocentric uh, <laughs> take on, on the League of Legends playoffs. Uh, no. Uh, so I definitely want to catch the opening matches on Thursday. And Fnatic opens things up with a game against Invictus Gaming. And I think that's going to be a hugely important uh, game as uh, sort of a bellwether. Uh, a weather vane to see, see what's about to happen. Because Fnatic aren't brilliant at best of ones but the main thing to know here uh for this this game that's going to kick off uh, worlds 2015 is that Fnatic is the absolute best europe can do uh with with two korean players but we'll we'll, we'll get to that. we'll talk about that <laughs> another day uh, Fnatic is the absolute best a, a european team uh can field and they just had a record-breaking year invictus are just a cut below the best china can do we talked about them uh in passing uh, a few episodes ago, uh, they they sort of had surprisingly strong showings in the uh, in, in the regional finals, but they are not at what is considered like the elite level right. uh, for for LPL. Right. So if Fnatic struggle against Invictus, it might be time to buckle up for a rough ride at Worlds <laughs> for all of the Western teams. Uh, but in terms of can't miss stuff. Saturday starts with EDG versus SK Telecom, and this is a mid-season invitational rematch. These were the, these were the last teams standing uh, at at MSI in Florida earlier this year. Uh, they are the absolute heavyweights uh, of their regions. This is huge. This is this is like you know finals preview uh, type stuff, and so that's something you definitely don't want to miss. And then later that day, you get LGD versus KT Rolster and. This is one of those cases where those names actually do, like, whatever sport you're talking about, those teams are going to be really good in just about any one of them. Uh, LGD is probably the most uh, serious Chinese team in terms of infrastructure and experience and training. And uh, KT Rolster is not quite at SK's level this year in, in, terms, of Le in terms of League of Legends, uh, but they're still very strong. And then later that day, you get uh, AHQ versus Fnatic. So these are the kinds of games that are the entire reason that Worlds is awesome. To, to your point earlier, this is the time to sort of appreciate all these possibilities where you've got all these great teams, everything is on the line, and there are these matches between these teams that you don't get to see match up very often because cross-regional play is this, is this rare treat in League of Legends. So that I, I would say, like, you know, if, if you're going to watch one day from this opening set of, of, of matches in, in League of Legends, I would say book Saturday. 
Yeah, and it, it booked the whole month, really, because like if, if you've been looking for a time to get into League of Legends, like now's the time. This is this is the moment where you can get in on the, at the ground floor of the beginning of a tournament and watch the whole thing play out. And I guarantee you, by the end of the tournament, you're going to be an expert uh, in League of Legends. If if maybe not the the minutia of the game, like you'll still you'll have a, a rock solid understanding of the pro scene and the pro strategy. And I really think that that's worthwhile. Uh, and, and so finally this week, kind of rounding out our, our trio of, of, of really big esports events, we have the ESL1 New York Dota 2 tournament on October 3rd and 4th, uh, which is going to be really interesting uh, because this will be the first time major teams have competed in a high-profile event since the International in August. And so we'll kind of get to see what has happened to the power dynamic in the intervening time. Uh, now, it's not a, like a reunion of the teams by any stretch of the imagination. That'll be what we get uh, at the Dota 2 Major in Frankfurt at the end of the month, uh, Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, but for now, we've got a tournament with both Evil Geniuses and China's CDEC, uh, and that's plenty. You know, those are the those are the two finalists from the International Five this year, and and everybody, every Dota fan in the world has got to be hoping that these two end up in a rematch. Because as as far as I'm concerned. You know, there was this sort of leftover storyline at the end of the International, and that storyline was, you know, did Evil Geniuses completely figure out and, and just dismantle CDEC's, like, only strategy? Uh, was CDC, CDEC this, you know, phenom group of young talent that only had one little, uh, one little trick in, the, in their bag of tricks? Or was CDEC a team that had a lot left to give but just ran out of time? Uh, and, and I'm really excited. I really hope that we get a chance to see that at the end of this weekend. Talk about a team now that's going to have everything to prove. Evil Geniuses. Uh, you know, kind of the, the, the coda to their, to their victory kind of, it was, it was a bit sour, right? Like Absolutely. getting rid of AUI and making these, making these powerful roster moves. Like they're certainly interesting. They, they got us talking for sure. But at the same time, like, from a certain point of view, the way they handled their postseason personnel changes was a bit crummy. And the other thing is, you literally like took a week and started messing with a world championship winning lineup because the guys couldn't get along. <laughs> and you know, like, and yep. that's fine. Like, I, I totally understand chemistry is important. And like, and hey, you made a lot of money, so there's no reason to work with people that like rub you the wrong way. I totally understand that. But at the same time, man, like, if EG show up to this thing and you know, kind of stink up the joint, uh, like, oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> those like just just block Reddit on your browser, guys. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that this is this is easy, this is EG's tournament to lose. Uh, CDEC might show up and show us something new uh, that can challenge EG, but I think EG has to be by far and away the favorite, regardless of the fact that they just won the international uh, and added one of the greatest players in modern Dota, Arteezy. Um, but I definitely think that this is this is. This is not a tournament where we have a lot of the top teams. You know, we have uh, EG and CDEC, but then below that, you know, you maybe look at Fnatic as being one of the bigger teams, and Fnatic is the former Team Malaysia 
that showed a lot of a, a, a lot of uh, spirit <laughs> before before the international and they, when they didn't really oh, do a whole lot. Oh, that's backhanded. They showed they showed a lot of heart out there. <laughs> yeah, okay, but I mean, you also look at the list and you go, oh, we have Team Secret there too. Like Team Secret was one of the favorites to win the international, but then you look at the roster of what Team Secret yeah, actually what's is left of nowadays. Team Secret now? One player is left from the old roster. You know, is one of their I? players went into uh, like a quasi retirement, and the rest of them took off. Arteezy left. Uh, and then two of their other players went back to their original teams, and it's basically just their captain, Puppy, is left. Uh, and it'll be nice, you know, be, besides those those big names, we also have Virtus Pro, uh, who made a, a really solid run at the International, and I think a lot of people are hoping that it turns into more than that, uh, and it turns into a, they turn into a team that is going to be around for a really long time. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest things that certainly I'm going to be watching for as, as sort of a, a, you know, a, a Dota specialist, a Dota fanatic, is the there's a new patch that just came out just a couple of days ago um, that's, that's going to alter some things about the way that Dota actually works. And I think a lot of people are kind of hoping that it breaks up the professional metagame just a little bit. This was a pretty small patch as far as Dota patches go. Dota patches have a way of just sort of tearing the earth asunder and just removing all ways that you thought the game was supposed to be played. Uh, this was a relatively small patch that just sort of balances out the way things uh, had been played at the international. But, you know, you mentioned uh, Evil Geniuses having something to prove here. And actually, I think that they were kind of vindicated in a way because one of the things that the guy that they cut, AUI2000, he was really known for was his techies play. And Valve just nerfed techies into the ground with this latest patch. Well, well that was AUI was on a mission to make that happen, though. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the thing. Is like maybe they realized this is unsustainable. We can't have this person on our team. You know, we have to look at AUI2000 regardless of his techies play. Uh, and sort of look at it, you know, without those, without that consideration in mind. Mm. Okay, I'm I'm just gonna say like AUI got known for his techies play because it was a novelty because he went out of his way to kind of troll everyone by sort of exposing what was wrong with what he felt was a uh, sort of broken hero, uh, w w which is fine. But I think in that story, what's interesting is AUI is a guy who can figure out really cool things to do with maybe underutilized or underappreciated uh, uh, heroes. But setting that aside, I, I am super curious to see uh, what the what the new Evil Geniuses team does. Uh, perhaps not so much at, at this coming tournament, but it's certainly, uh, you know, what, what we might see from the Dota 2 Major in Frankfurt at the end of the month. But we'll be watching all of these events over the coming week, and we'll be back on October 6th to talk about all this and more. Uh, but that's all we have for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss esports with us in the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2D Podcast. Uh, if you've enjoyed Esports Today so far, it really helps us out if you drop a review on iTunes, which is really helpful for a new podcast. Uh, and tell your esports buddies about us. As I look at the clock, I realize we failed miserably to do a shortened episode, so I hope you enjoy this make-believe <laughs> uh, shortened placeholder episode. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney, signing off.